it's not about being cute and clever. It's not about creating amazing like visual commercials. It's not about just the most beautiful website. It's about clarity. Cute and clever is important, but it's always secondary to clarity. And if you can create a clear message that actually invites your customer into a story, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but a clear message to your customers, that is going to win out in the marketplace every time. Welcome to Imperfect Action. I'm Steph Taylor. For years, I read all the books, downloaded all the freebies, and did all the courses. But it wasn't until I started taking Imperfect Action that my business had its first million-dollar year. Imperfect Action is about doing things before you're ready, prioritizing consistent action over perfect action, and moving forward, even when you're not sure you're doing it right. On this show, you can expect mindset advice, actionable marketing tips, and strategies to build a business that brings you more profit, more freedom, and even more joy. Are you on the list to get my daily biz boosters? Every day, I'll send you a bite-sized prompt designed to help you grow your business in a more intentional way. Sign up at stephtaylor.co forward slash DBB or at the link in the show notes. Hey, welcome back to Imperfect Action. This is episode 607. Today on the show, I'm chatting with a new friend of mine, Dr. JJ Peterson, who is the head of StoryBrand. Now, you may have heard of StoryBrand before, and even if you haven't heard of StoryBrand, you may be somewhat aware of the importance of storytelling when it comes to your marketing, when it comes to your messaging, when it comes to essentially anything that you are doing as a brand, as a business. And in today's episode, I'm chatting to JJ about the structure behind really good messaging and really good storytelling. We're going through the story brand framework. We're dissecting it piece by piece. And by the end of this episode, even if you think you are somebody who is no good at storytelling or you think you don't have any good stories to tell, you are going to understand how you can start to use this framework in your business so that marketing feels easier, so that your messaging becomes more aligned, and so that whatever you are selling feels like a much easier yes for the right people. So I am super excited to jump into today's episode with JJ. Let's get started. JJ, I'm so excited to have you here on Imperfect Action. You know, we were, we were talking recently about how we met, essentially we met over dinner at a conference and you know, when you just meet somebody and you're like, I could talk to this person forever, that is essentially how I felt talking to you. So I'm really excited to have you here on the show. We're going to talk about stories. We're going to talk about the importance of storytelling in your business and in your brand. So welcome, JJ. Thank you so much. I feel the exact same way. Like we might get in a little trouble on the podcast because we might just, you know, just keep talking about 500 different things. <laughs> we, could, <laughs> we could talk all day. Yeah, JJ. So you are, you're, you know, you're the host of Marketing Made Simple, but you're pathway into marketing is not the traditional pathway that many people took. How did you get into what you do now? Yes, it's kind of funny. Whenever I tell my backstory or I start telling about something of the things in my past, people always go, wait, you did what? You were what? Because, you know, now I'm I'm a professor of marketing. I'm an author in marketing. I'm a podcaster in marketing. I teach businesses all over the world about how to create clear messages for their marketing. But my background really came from, um, I, I did a bunch of different things. Actually, right out of college, I did marketing and public relations for a multinational um, nonprofit and did a lot of kind of work in that space, but then actually ultimately went into comedy. And um, I toured around the country doing improv comedy for a while and then kind of parlayed that into some Hollywood work where I was doing some writing. I actually directed a documentary in Ethiopia. Um, I, you know, kind of worked in every aspect of the industry, acting, writing, directing, and on some level, and, uh, eventually kind of moved out of that world and went back into higher education and taught communication, public relations, marketing. And while I was there, I was in Southern California. And as you do in Southern California, I sold a reality television show to a production company, <laughs> um, that starred my brothers and I. 
and it was called uh, Bad A Brothers. And the premise is, is that we were so not bad A, so not bad ass, that we couldn't even say the word. And so we wanted to become more bad A. And the way that we would do that was by traveling around the United States and finding those old laws that are still on the books. Like you can't cross the Minnesota border with a duck on your head. Like that's a real law that exists. And we would learn the history and we would break those laws. So, so I started doing that. And then I kind of moved into developing more television and working with this production company. But. I ended up coming, uh, I met Donald Miller, who's the founder of StoryBrand, and he was just getting ready to start StoryBrand. And he's like, hey, you're launching these television shows and kind of a different career out of higher education and teaching. Why don't you come and brand yourself out at StoryBrand? Why don't you come through one of our workshops? And he was kind of testing them out. And I was like, great, I will come out there and I'll give you notes because this is what I do. I teach marketing. I teach, you know, I've done story. And I came out and went through the workshop and went through the story brand framework and it blew my mind. It absolutely, it was like, this is what I've been trying to do for 20 years in marketing, in fundraising, in nonprofit work, in Hollywood. This is, I've been trying to tell stories in really powerful and compelling ways and even teach other people how to tell stories. And he created this framework that really broke things down so simply that I just couldn't get away from it. I really, I kind of, uh, finished out my contract in LA and I moved to Nashville and I became a part of StoryBrand. And I have since then been for the last seven years helping companies create clear messaging with the power of story. And I think that's one of the things I really love about what you guys are doing is you do take something that many businesses find really complicated you know, marketing, if you're not a marketer, marketing can feel so overwhelming. Like if you are a sole business owner, you are running the show, you are trying to do all of the things to then have to try and market your business as well. That just seems like oh, this big overwhelming thing. And you and I both know that marketing can be simple. And I love that the framework you all teach is it essentially makes it simple. But I'd love to know, like, in why do you think it is that business owners find marketing to be so complicated? Where are they overcomplicating it? Well, I think a lot of times it feels like we're throwing spaghetti at a wall. It's, it's their guess. You know, it feels like it's like, what's going to stick, you know, and it's kind of like guessing at what will stick. And also, I think people compare themselves to, we, we, we see so many marketing messages out there all the time. So we see Coca-Cola and we see Apple and we see these huge companies that are telling these quote unquote amazing stories with high production value. And it feels so intimidating to then go, well, how am I supposed to write an email when Apple and everybody's exposed to Apple and Apple's writing these amazing emails and these amazing commercials that make you cry? How am I supposed to compete with that? Because it's just such a high value. So story and storytelling and marketing just feels like it's this thing that is you have to guess at. And there's already people who are doing it so amazing. I'm never going to reach that level. So it becomes very intimidating because it's like, I've, I don't have $50 million to create a commercial that makes people cry with Robin Williams voice in the background. So I, I, I just throw my hands up in the air. <laughs> I think that's a big piece of it. Is it, it's very intimidating because we see so much marketing. The average person receives between three and 5,000 commercial messages a day. So we are seeing all of these stories and marketing out there. And some of them are great. Most of them are not, but some of them are really great. So it feels really intimidating and in that you have to tell, you have to have a lot of money and you have to have a lot of skill as being an amazing storyteller, an amazing copywriter. And the reality is, and this is what we always talk to people about is it's not about being cute and clever. It's not about creating amazing like visual commercials it's not about just the most beautiful website it's about clarity cute and clever is important but it's always secondary to clarity and if you can create a clear message that actually invites your customer into a story and i'll talk about that in a minute but a clear message to your customers that is going to win out in the marketplace every time even if your competitor down the street has an inferior product than you, let's say you are a business coach and you know there's a lot of not great business coaches out there. Oh, yes. And 
There are people, but they can tell a more clear story than you. They're going to beat you in the marketplace. So what I always start with with people is story feels very intimidating and it feels very overwhelming. And we feel like we have to have things like Coca-Cola and Apple. And that's not true. Those are clever and they're cute. They also, a lot of them are clear. But for you, for the individual marketer, for the solopreneur, when you can understand that communication is about clarity, not about being cute and clever, that will freeze you up. At least it freed me up to really be a better communicator and be more excited about marketing. I love that. And I know like one of the biggest challenges that my listeners deal with is standing out online because you know, especially when you are on a limited budget, you don't have budgets to pay for lots of ads or pay for media placements or anything like that. It, you're then relying on organic marketing to get in front of your ideal clients and then standing out against all of these thousands of other messages that are, that they are getting bombarded with every single day is really hard. And I love how you're saying it's not about being cute and clever. It's about that clarity. And it's also one of the things I think it's not so much about like, hey, you've got to chase these trends and you've got to do this particular tactic because it's working right now, but actually rather work on that clear message that is going to catch the attention of that right person, not of everybody, but of that right person and is going to draw them into your brand and build that connection over time. I love, I love what you were talking about there. It's not cute and clever. And now it's about clarity. Absolutely. And now, so somebody who might be struggling to stand out, that's probably one of the signs that their current messaging isn't really serving their business. Are there any other common signs that you see when you work with businesses, you work with brands that their messaging is just not hitting the mark? The biggest thing is understanding. Well, here, here's kind of, there's some science behind it a little bit is that ultimately, our brain is designed to keep us alive. Our brain really is designed to keep us alive. And two of the primary ways that our brain does this is the first thing is, is our brain is always focusing on information that speaks to our survival and thriving. We're always looking for and paying attention to things that contribute to our survival and thriving. So for instance, if you and I are at a giant concert, thousands of people in the room, I could stand on the stage and I would say, how many people know how many chairs are in this room? And nobody would be able to raise their hand. But if I said, how many people know where the exits are in this auditorium? Every single person would raise their hand instantly. We automatically know our brains do that. It's looking for and paying attention to the information that contributes to our survival and thriving. Does this all the time. Because even right now, as you and I are talking, the amount of information that is available to us, like, you know, how many, how many pieces of, how many mounds are in the carpet or on the ground? How many nails are in the wall? How many leaves are on the trees around, right? There's all this information. And if we had to process all the information at any given moment, we would never move. We would just stand there and have to take in every piece around us. So our brain goes, don't need that. Don't need that. Don't need that. I do need that. There's the exits. And so. That's the first piece uh, that we need to understand about our brains. The second piece is that our brains are also only at any given time have a limited number of calories to put towards thinking. So our brain burns a lot of calories all the time. When you're thinking, when you're in a meeting all day long and being creative, you actually are exhausted by the end of the day, even if you just sat there. Well, you didn't just sit there. Your brain is actually burning calories by processing information. Now, we only have a limited number of calories in our brain at any given time that, and they refill. It's why like when you're in a meeting, you take a break about every 90 minutes. It's be, that's like intentional. You have about 90 minutes worth of thinking in your brain at any given moment of those calories. So what our brain does is that when we get complicated information that is given to us that causes us to have to think and burn more calories, our brain actually goes, I need to save those calories for an emergency, so I'm going to tune out. So if there, we're receiving at any given moment information that does not directly contribute to our survival and thriving and does not do so in such a way that we don't have to burn any calories to understand it, our brains are literally designed to tune out that information. Our brain goes, if I pay attention to that, it may kill me. 
that's that's an extreme version, but that's actually what our brain is doing is that I could die if I pay attention to this, so I'm not going to pay attention to it. It's why we actually daydream about 30% of the day. The average person daydreams 30% of the day. It's a survival mechanism. Our brain is tuning out and actually going into story mode. We start telling ourselves stories and that's daydreaming. So to actually answer your question of what is happening, what I find a lot of time is when people create marketing that is overly confusing and is all about the features of the product and how great the product is and all these different things, but don't actually speak to the benefit for the customer and doesn't actually speak to their survival and thriving and how the product solves their problem and their pain that they're experiencing, that is where we get complicated and confusing and we do not connect with our customers. So we have to understand that we have to create clear, not just clear messaging, but simple messaging that people can understand clearly and connect that to their survival and thriving. So if we get into the details, like if I was talking about a watch and I start going into all the details about like, but this watch has this kind of workings and done it and does this and it does. And it's like, but does it actually keep track of like, if you're talking Apple watch, does it keep track of my heartbeat so I can know if my health is better? Okay. That, okay. Now I know how that helps me. Like, and if you don't say that, you just say, oh, it's the next generation and it's great technology. I'm not paying attention to that. I'm designed to tune that out. I don't see how that contributes to my survival and thriving. So that's the mistake. When I say people need a clear message, that's really what I'm talking about, is you need a message that clearly and simply tells your audience how your product contributes to their survival and thriving and does it in such a way that they don't have to burn any calories to understand. So with your watch analogy, though, like I know know most of my listeners are probably thinking, what... What about like a luxury watch, right? You know, a Rolex isn't going to tell the time any better than a $20 watch from a random store. So how does, how does it, why is it that then if you see like a Rolex in your newsfeed, for example, you're more likely to look at that than you would if it was just any plain watch? The problem that the, that a high quality or luxury item solves is not a tangible physical problem. It's a status problem. It's always a status problem. So if you think of two, I, 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 the only reason I mentioned watches because I just had one on. So it was the first thing I saw. Again, I'm trying not to burn too many calories. Um, but like, you know, the old Timex slo- slogan was Timex takes a licking and keeps on ticking. So what they were saying is Timex solves a practical problem, right? So when it used to be the Timex watches were often rubber, they were simple but they were for the working person. So when they were, but when you're selling like a practical, a practical or lower end size kind of product, you're solving a and contributing to the survival and thriving of somebody in a very practical way. When you're selling a Rolex or a BMW or a luxury item, the problem and the survival and thrival, thriving that you're speaking to for them is a status. It's almost always status when it's luxury. So that's why you can't go, you can say, you know, it's the great, it's great quality watch, but no, Rolex is you become a Rolex man when you like, they literally give this aspirational identity with luxury. So that is a problem that a lot of luxury people have is they try to speak to the practicality of their product. And in reality, you're not solving a practical problem because if you're solving a practical problem, then you're just a commodity, which is cheaper. But if you solve a status problem, then you can actually charge more money for that. Mm, that's really interesting. I'm like, I, I mean, I relate that back to, I work with a lot of online course creators and I relate that back to online course creators who are like, yeah, this course has 10 modules and four lessons in each module and your weekly live Q and A calls without actually talking to what that problem that they're solving is. So I find that really interesting. But now somebody who's listening to this might be thinking, well, I'm not Rolex. I'm not Timex. I'm just your average run-of-the-mill bookkeeper or business coach. Where do I start then with my story? Like if I'm just this average person and I have nothing particularly interesting about me, how do I start to craft that messaging that connects and that gets that attention? Yeah. So 
what we do at StoryBrand is we we teach how story works. We start we always start with teaching people how story works. And story is not based on if you are a good storyteller, it's not that you're entertaining, it's that you actually are clear. Is <laughs> what's a really interesting thing. And there are, there are rules to story that go all the way back to Aristotle and Plato. And they would they would argue in poetics, they really argued that the best way to move somebody to action is through story. And those kind of frameworks and, and principles have been studied over and over. And, and there's a bunch of different frameworks of how story works, but really we boil it down to that every good story in its most simple form really contains seven elements. There's seven pieces to a good story and it's formulaic. And when I say these, you're going to notice them from every movie and good book that you've ever read. But in its most simple form, here's the seven. I'll name them and then I'll kind of connect them to what we're talking about here. These are the seven. First, there's a character who wants something. Second, that character encounters a problem. Third, then they meet a guide, somebody to help them overcome that problem, who gives them a plan that calls them to action that results in success or failure. Those are the seven elements, character, problem, guide, plan, call to action, success, and failure. Now, just to kind of expand that a little bit, in a movie, you have to know very early on what it is that that, that who is the main character and what do they want? It actually, it's, it's almost within the first seven minutes of a movie. If you don't understand what that character wants, then it's not a good story. Because we, our brain can actually process the information. We're following too many paths. So, you know, Jason Bourne needs to know who he is, where he comes from. That's really it, right? Like he wants to know his history. And, but he also can't, the story can't be about him training for a marathon and trying to open a bakery and, you know, running for office and getting the girl and adopting a cat. Like we can't, no, no, no. It has to be about one thing. And we know that one thing very early on. You can almost name it in every single movie. That's what gets things moving in the story is we identify the character and the whole story then becomes, does that character get what they want? Mm, and there's clarity then, around what they want as well. The fun thing, one thing. Then he encounters a problem or she or whoever the main character is encounters the problem. And that becomes the hook of the story. If there is no problem in the story, there is no story, really. There's no hook. So if I was to say to you, you know, right now, this morning I got up and, oh, man, it was crazy. I I got dressed and I had coffee and sat on my couch. And I just started, like, telling you details. You would just be waiting for, like, what's the point, right? You'd be like, what's what? Do you, get to the point of why you're telling me this. But if I said... So I got up this morning and all of a sudden a car came crashing through my window. And then I was like, so where do you want to go for lunch? You'd be like, wait, what? Wait, what happened with the car? Like, tell me, like, well, how did that happen? You're, you're like interested. Not only like, does that make the story interesting? You want to pay attention. But if I go off of that, you're like, stop, wait, no, go back. Tell me that's what a problem does in a story. It hooks an audience. If there is no problem. If Liam Neeson is trying to, you know, his daughter kind of gets kidnapped, but it turns out it's a joke. And the rest of the time he's going to, you know, just go shopping with her the whole movie. Not an interesting movie, right? There has to be, there has to be a problem. So that's step two. And those are really the two most important pieces of the story. Then the hero has to meet a guide, somebody like Yoda or Obi-Wan Kenobi or Gandalf, you know, in Lord of the Rings of somebody that can help the hero win. The story is not about the guide typically. It's about the hero, but the guide helps the hero win. Then there's always this point in the story where you hear the words, what's the plan or here's the plan. And that's always because no matter how crazy the journey is that they're about to take, if the audience can see that there's a clear, easy way forward, then we're in. If we can't believe that there's a path forward and we can't see it, we, it, we, we tune out. Then there's a moment, the call to action, where like there's typically like a countdown clock where a bomb is going to go off in 10 minutes and 24 hours. Something's going to happen that forces the hero to either be in or out. And that's all based on this idea that hum we as humans are not going to act unless we're like called to act because there's, we have, there's something at risk there. So there has to be a bomb, a, a countdown clock, something that forces them to act. And then foreshadowed is success and failure, 
we can see what a happy ending it looks like. There's hope there and we want to move towards it or there's pain we're going to avoid. So we know like if this bomb goes off, everybody could die. If the bomb's full of baby powder, then there's like the story's not interesting, right? Because it's just like, oh, well, it doesn't matter if the bomb goes off or not. No, no, no. If this bomb goes off, everybody's going to die. But that's the failure part. But if the bomb is, if the right wire is cut, everybody lives, the villain's defeated and everybody lives happy ever after. And there's a kiss and, you know, we, and that's all been foreshadowed. So that's what it's like in movies, right? Well, what we talk about when creating a clear story for your company is what you have to identify is who is your customer and you have to go back to that very first principle. What is it that they want? And there has to be clarity in that. You have to be able to name very clearly what they want and it really has to be one thing. It can't be 20 things. They want to be able to grow their business with, by, with a business coach. They want to be able to, um, they want to be able to create clear marketing. They want to reach a wider audience. They want to, you know, launch a new course and they need help doing that. There's one thing that you have to be, you have to name it. And a mistake that I see in so many marketing is they use high level flowery language that it's like in there, you go to their webpage and it says reach the next level. And there's a picture of a mountain there. And I go, well, what does this mean? Is are you a, are you a, a personal trainer? Are you somebody who helps people climb mountains? And they're like, no, we actually are a software company that is kind of like Excel. And I'm like, then say that. Like, don't, don't I, like be clear. You have yeah. to. And I see so you, this so much. Like there was a while, I think it was maybe like two or three years ago where pretty much every brand in the online business space was using like, we empower you to reach the next level. We empower you to elevate your business. And it's like, Cool, but what does that actually mean? So I love that yeah. you talked about that. Like again, clarity, not that flowery, vague language, Me. clarity. And what a lot of people will say is, well, if I just say that I'm a business coach who helps people grow their business, anybody in this space could say that. And I'm like, yes, but you're going to be the first one that says it clearly. <laughs> so mm. it, this goes all back to that burning the calories. If I come in and even if I know instinctively before I land on your webpage that you're a business coach, if you make me burn too many calories, I'm done. I'm done. I'm out. So get to that really clear. Then, so what, what, what I'm, what I'm going to talk about here is within this framework, what you need to do as a marketer is then create talking points for each of these elements of the story. So you need to name what is it that my customer wants? And it has to be one thing. It has to be clear. Then the second thing is the problem. And like I said, is the problem is the hook in any good story. The problem is the hook in your marketing. You need to be able to articulate what problem do you solve for your customer? You need to be able to name it for them. Are you struggling with this? Do you worry about this? Is this keeping you up at night? Naming it, hooking them with the problem. And it, the, you have to talk about your customer's problem over and over and over again. The only reason why somebody is coming to purchase anything from you is because you solve a problem. If they could solve it on their own, they don't need you. So you solve a problem and you need to talk about that. Then you need to position yourself as the guide. This is really the big paradigm shift in the story brand framework. Your customer is the hero and you are the guide. So your customer is Luke Skywalker. You are Obi-Wan Kenobi. And the way you position yourself as a guide is with empathy and authority. You talk about how you know and have experienced the pain that your customer is experiencing. So you know that, you feel it, that's empathy but you've also found a way forward. You have testimonies, you have statistics, you have something that proves that you can actually know what you're doing and help them solve their problem. Those first three are really, if, if companies can get those right, I would say that's 75% of the marketing. Naming what your customer wants, talking about the problems they're experiencing and positioning yourself as a guide. Then you also want to create a clear three-step plan, a plan that shows them this is how this is how to work with us or this is how to get started because they're confused. There's some fog around how to engage with you. So you need to just show them we do this, this, and this. Don't give them 20 things that you do. Don't give them 50 things that you do. Give them three. Very simple. Keep it very clear. Then you have to have a clear call to action. What is the next step they need to take to do business with you? 
That needs to be all over your website. That needs to be in your emails. Buy now, schedule a call, shop now, whatever it is. You need to clear, don't say, if you have any questions, call me. Nope. In a, in a, in a movie, there's always like, there's never a question of what the hero is supposed to do, right? It's like, am I supposed to disarm a bomb or not? Am I supposed to get my daughter back from the kidnappers or not? I'm not, I'm, un, I'm unclear. No, no, no. It's very clear. This is what you need to do to win. And it's the same in your marketing. 70% of small businesses in America do not have a clear call to action on their website, which is mind blowing to me. People are losing money so much because of that. So you need a clear call to action. And then you need to create language around success and failure. What does their life look like if they do business with you? That's success. That's the hope they need to move towards. So what are the benefits? But then not just the benefits. What do those benefits allow for them to do and become? And then you also need to name a little bit of failure if they don't work with you. What is their life like if they don't? So you have to name that their problems are going to still be there and they might get a little bit worse. So when you create talking points for those seven elements of story, what you're doing is you're creating a clear and cohesive narrative that connects to your customers' survival and thriving and does so in such a way that you're not going off on all this other information that doesn't contribute to that or cause them to burn any calories. It forces you to be clear and concise in all your messaging. Because then what you do is once you, once you create those seven talking points, then you use that in all of your marketing. Now you have essentially all of the language and the outline for your website, for emails, for sales talking points, for any time that you are for social media, you're pulling from those for social media. You now have a clear and concise, cohesive message that you can put everywhere. And it just makes it so much easier to create marketing that works. Love that. Okay. Let's, um, all right, let's, let's dive a little bit then into each of these a bit more step by step. So we've, we've talked about the customer and we want it to be somebody who's, we want it to be really clear. Now they have a problem. So can you maybe give us an example of what a well defined problem looks like versus a very poorly defined problem? Yeah. So the, the, when I'm creating this, what I'm always doing is my customer, if I'm working with a company, I go, so what is your customer c coming to you for? What do they want? And, you know, a lot of times they'll say, well, to grow their business. And I'm like, all right, we need to get more specific. They want coaching from you to grow their business. And so, you know, or something like that, or they need a system or they need this, you know, but let's get really specific. Don't be vague. Be really specific about what they're buying from you. I almost say, what would somebody Google if they were trying to find your website? Be that specific. Then really the next question is, I, or the next thing I say to them is I say, all right, so your customer wants business coaching that's actually going to keep them accountable and grow their business. But the problem is, and I go, finish that sentence. And, and, I, and we just start, literally start there. What's the problem? And they say, well, the problem is uh, a lot of people went to business school, but they didn't get the hard skills they need to grow their business. Or the problem is that they they have this great product, but they don't know how to create marketing that works. Or the problem is they don't know which business coach is actually going to help them because there's the business coaching market is saturated, you know, something. And you just name, like you go, what problem do you solve? So I start there and, and I get them to brainstorm about that. Now, what I would say in, in the examples I just gave is when where people go wrong in the problem in the story is a couple different areas. One, it's not specific enough. They try to solve too many problems. The second is it, they mention in their marketing a problem they don't actually solve. So let's say I was to say we're using the business coach example. So what somebody wants is business coaching that's going to keep them accountable and grow their business. And if I name the problem being... The problem is the coaching market is saturated. Well, then what that means is my brand has to solve the saturation problem of the business world, which I don't solve that. So that's the mistake that, you know, people start saying, Oh yeah, well, the problem is so many, there's too many coaches. Who do you choose? Well, then what my brand has to be a part of is helping you choose a business coach. That's not it. I solve the problem of what, right? So that's a mistake people make is they name a problem they don't actually solve. So that's a big thing. This is also another place to differentiate. You know, so you say you're looking for business coaching, 
But the problem is most business coaching is actually just rah-rah and cheerleading and doesn't give you anything practical. So now what I'm doing in that is I'm naming a problem in the industry that I solve differently than other coaches. Now, do other coaches solve it like that? Yes, but think about how powerful that is to just name that. If somebody goes, what do you do? Instead of saying, well, I'm a business coach. Start off by saying, somebody's like, you know, what do you do? And you go, well, you know how actually a lot of people who grow businesses, they really struggle to keep things moving forward because they have to work in their business versus on their business. Or, you know, that's just naming the problem. And then I go, I actually come in and I help people create, I keep them accountable and give them practical tools to grow their business. Is that where you're, is that introducing the guide now at that point? No, then what you, if you're really going into the big story is so the, the, that's the problem phase. And then the guide part is coming in and just saying, I understand. Basically, I understand the problem and I've helped people solve the problem. And th- these two work really closely together. So in the sense of imagine if I was going into a gym and I'm, I say, I walk into that trainer and I say, I'm looking to lose 30 pounds. And that trainer goes, huh, me too. Well, that's empathy, but that person is not my trainer, (laughs) right? Now, if I walk into that same gym and say like, hey, I'm looking to lose 30 pounds and the trainer lifts up his shirt and shows me a six pack and go, well, it's because you're not working hard enough, fatty. And I'm like, okay, well, you have authority, but no empathy for me, right? And if somebody then goes in and goes, says, I say, I'm looking to lose 30 pounds and that a trainer comes to me and goes, oh my gosh, I used to be overweight myself. But I've actually figured out a a way to help people lose weight and keep it off. In fact, Sharon over here just lost 30 pounds and look how great she looks, right? So you're bringing in like testimony, you're bringing empathy, authority with a testimony, right? That's that's what it means to be a guide is basically once you identify the problem, then you go, I get it. Almost that, that's almost all you need is I get it. I've been there. I've been a business owner myself and I know how hard this can be. But I actually was, I've, I've gone through training and business coaching. I have this certification. So that's some authority. And I've helped hundreds of businesses double their revenue in just under six months. Now I bring in, so now that's what being a guide is. It's just bringing in a, a sprinkle of empathy. I got, I get you. And then I got you. That's really empathy and authority kind of working together. Mm, okay. And then the, the call to action after that. Does that need to be like a, is, is that work with me or is that just the next step? You know, download my freebie, book in a call. What does that call yeah. to action typically need to look like? So there's really two different types of call to action that we call one a direct call to action and one a transitional. So direct call to action is kind of the marry me. So it, it, it's really like buy now, schedule a call, sign up, shop now. We want to be really specific. Learn more is not a strong call to action. That's very, that's a weak one. We want something really strong. And the reason you want to do that is because really you don't want to hide what this relationship is, right? Like I think people, a lot of times they're like, well, I just want to be friends with them. No, you don't. No, you don't. (laughs) I mean, you might get a friendship out of it, but you want them to buy your business. And when you go in going, I just want to be friends. So if you want to learn more, you want to get to know me, and then they find out, well, now you're trying to sell them something. Well, it ruins that relationship. There, there should be a transaction in this, and you should stand confidently in that transaction. No, I believe this will help you solve your problems. Now, you're not aggressive or anything, but you're clear. What is that main thing? Is it shop now, sign up for a call, uh, buy now? What is it? That's a direct call to action. But we also know. Not everybody is ready in that moment. So you need to stay connected with them. You want to get their email address. And so you want to create what we call a transitional call to action. And a transitional call to action would be download my PDF, sign up for my webinar. Um, here's three tips on how to do this. Here's a free video. Here's free information. Here's a quiz. Those are all transitional call to action. So whereas, you know, direct call to action is marry me. Whereas a transitional call to action is let's go on another date and it's not. And then you, from there, then you ask them to marry you again, but really the first (laughs) on the second date. Yeah. On the second or third, but you know that. So you want both of those in your marketing. But the biggest thing I would say, the biggest mistake people make 
in that area is not having a clear direct call to action. You don't want to do learn more. You don't want to, you know, if you have any questions, reach out. Nope. Tell them what's next. Sign up now. And in your marketing, if you can attach a countdown clock to that, that's either associated with saving them from pain or giving them more value. Like if you sign up within the next 24 hours, we're going to give you this. Or if you, you know, if, if you can associate it with a, like in the movies, like they do with a bomb that's going to go off, it makes it more tangible. It creates a sense of urgency. So if you can associate your call to action, not necessarily in a web page, but maybe on an email with a countdown clock, you're going to create more urgency. Mm, and that's so interesting because. I mean, that's like fundamental sales psychology is that urgency and that, you know, somebody needs that deadline. Otherwise, they're just going to keep procrastinating it. But I also know something that's been quite a hot topic in the online marketing space over the last couple of years is the ethics of having that urgency, like whether it's, you know, a high pressure sales tactic where you're pressuring somebody into making a decision really quickly versus just you know, getting them to that point where they need to make a decision, yes or no. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? You know, with it's kind of what I talked about a little bit with whenever somebody has to take action, you're putting something at risk, right? Mm -hmm. So you're like, whether it's time or money, like if I have to make that decision and move forward, I'm putting some, maybe even my reputation, if I'm hiring somebody to come in and work with my company, you know, you're putting your reputation, your money, your time at risk. So naturally, we don't want to have to take those steps forward, right? We don't want to have to take those steps because we don't want to put anything at risk. And so we kind of delay that action. Well, the reality is delayed action becomes inaction very, very quickly because we're not going to move. So it's I, I'm not a pressure kind of salesperson. I don't want pressure. So I prefer, I don't prefer the missing out, which actually works really well. Like with a call to action, you're going to miss out if you don't do this. That actually performs really well, but I actually prefer value add. So what can you think about in your, that you can add value to? So, you know, it might be a free pillow if you sell mattresses, you know, it's just like something like, Hey, actually for this next week, if you come in, we're going to actually throw in two pillows versus like even you're going to miss out on a 25% discount. Like I'm, I, you know, I, I know missing out does really well, but I actually like to think of value adds that we can give. And that feels a little bit more generous to me. Also, this is uh, high pressure sales is, um, happen when somebody actually does the failure section of the story wrong. So I talked about how you always want to add information about success and failure happy ending or tragic ending of a story in your marketing. When you speak to the success or the hope that somebody can have when their problem is solved where they go, you want a lot of that. I almost talk about it like each of these elements of the story framework are like ingredients for a recipe of a loaf of bread and success is flour. You want lots and lots of flour. So you can talk about their short-term success and their long-term success. So Let's say it's a business coach. You can say, well, you're going to get unstuck. You're going to be able to be excited about your job again. Those are all like short-term. And then long-term stuff is you're going to be able to grow your business, provide for your family in new ways, have more free time. You can go on and on and on, like not just the short-term, but long-term success. When it comes to failure, you want to think of that in terms of salt in the recipe. You need a little bit of it or the recipe won't work, but too much is going to ruin it. It's going to taste horrible. And none of it's going to work. So with failure, really what you're speaking to is the short-term failure. So with the business coach is you're going to continue feeling stuck and working harder than you need to. That's it. You don't then want to say, and then your wife is probably going to leave you and you're going to die alone and an alcoholic, right? <laughs> or, or your business is going to go broke and yeah, it's going it's, to fail and you're going to have to tell exactly. your family that you went out and risked everything to start this business and you exactly. failed. Yeah, yeah, which we do see That's, a lot of. Yeah, that's that's when it becomes manipulative and that's bad storytelling when it comes to marketing. You do need failure in there. Like again, if 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 Tom Cruise is running through the airport to disarm a bomb and he finds out that bomb is full of baby powder, he's done running and we're not hooked in the story to see what's going to happen. So you need it. You need a little bit of it for it to be a good story. But where it becomes manipulation in the hardcore is when you start taking those principles of failure 
and you go big with them. Now, here's I, I want to say this. What the research shows, the research actually shows when you go into that hard-pressed and heavy failure manipulation kind of stuff, is the sad part is that actually in the short term will will often outperform happy images and happy endings in the short term, not in the long term. So you might get that one sale from it, but that person is not going to speak well of you moving forward and they're not going to associate your brand with positive feelings. And so you actually hurt yourself. Where this research really comes in, and this is really kind of, it, it, I'll, I'll say this very, it's not crass, but I will just kind of say it bluntly. Starving children, images of starving children for nonprofits will make more money than happy, smiling children in the short term, in the short term. But if then you try to use those, those same images of starving children in the next campaign, they will not be effective and people actually stop, start turning on you. And so you you can use those kind of harsh, quick things to raise awareness. So like in marketing, if people are unaware that their business is going to fail, you can be a little bit more aggressive with the failure. And you can do that once. The next time you talk to them, you can't, you can't, you, otherwise you have to go bigger. You have to go, well, not only is your business going to fail, but you're, you might die. And then not only will you die, but your kids might die. You really have to actually get worse and worse and worse for it to continue to be more effective. It's why politicians keep going to that next, next, next. They have to continue to scare you to be engaged. Well, in marketing, you can do it. So people will do it and they will find effectiveness with it. You can be manipulative. You can be aggressive. The research shows that will that's not a sustainable model. And it also creates negative feelings. And you have to get bigger and badder if you're going to make it continue to be effective. Oh, wow. That was really interesting. Like that was an insight that I was not expecting to get out of this episode, but I'm really <laughs> glad we went down that rabbit hole because I know that's something else that we've been like, that's been a lot of conversation on the online space about is, yeah, because a lot of people do share those really extreme failure cases and they do really try to play on people's emotions to get them to take action rather than making that informed decision and feeling inspired to take action rather than trying to avoid that horrible, tragic ending. Now, JJ, I have one question that I ask every single one of my guests at the end of each episode, and that is, when was the last time you took imperfect action and what happened as a result? Oh, my goodness. I take imperfect action all the time. Um, I am One of the things that I try to do every year is learn a new skill that is just kind of random and out there. So um, I... Took a trip last year to Italy, uh, to Italy, and I went to Venice, and I decided to take a Murano glass class. Cool. And I'm telling you, I was so horrible at it. <laughs> it was so so bad. It's like such a crazy skill that, like, it it you know, it seemed like oh yeah, you could kind of just do a few things and I would be okay. No, no, no. I was horrible at it, and I ended up creating this little glass bear that is about an inch and a half high that its eyes are like like they're skewed um the ears are different there's no arms it's just like a belly and a head and that's it and it is ugly and way really imperfect and it is my absolute favorite thing and i i have found kind of like in my life that i I, when i when i step into some of those spaces I, you know, I've, I learned how to make cheese. I just did a cheese making class and I did great in the class and then did horrible on my own. But what it always does is it kind of opens up new inspiration for me of trying, trying new things. Not everything sticks, but what I've learned a lot of it is the lesson kind of I walk away in just life in general is none of this lasts. Like even if I'm embarrassed, like in that class, cause I was really horrible, which I wasn't, I always have fun with it. But even if I was, if I was embarrassed in that class, that's this too shall pass, right? And it's not the end of the world. I can bounce back from it. I'm good at other things. And there's some things that do stick and I learn and I love. Um, and uh, oddly enough, I did cross stitch one year and I'm really good at cross stitch, um, which I never would have done that. I won a blue ribbon in the Tennessee State Fair for the no. best, um, not for cross stitching, but for the 
uh, best diorama. I made a diorama and I entered and I won. So just things like that. I always just try things imperfectly. And I used to try to, and I do this intentionally because it really impacts the rest of my life because then I'm not frozen by that moment of having to like wait until everything's perfect to move forward. I just, I move intentionally and understanding the risk. But when I do often beautiful things, that little thing that I have, that bear, it is my favorite thing. It's my favorite thing in my house and it's ugly and imperfect and I love it. And I would never have had it had I not tried. And I think that that's what I learned kind of each time is one, even if it's horrible, it too shall pass. And then also beautiful things can come from it even when you're not looking for them. Oh, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is a great story. That is how you tell a great story. But I, I like, I love asking this question because so one of the reasons why I rebranded the show from Socialette to Imperfect Action was I kept thinking, what is the secret sauce to success? And I think it is that imperfect action success in your hobbies, success in your career, success in life in general. It's just taking that imperfect action. And I just loved hearing that story that made me smile big time. So JJ, thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom with us today. If our listeners want to connect with you, where can they learn a little bit more about you? Where can they find your podcast? All of those things. So yes, our podcast is called Marketing Made Simple. And um, every week we give practical tips on how to create marketing that's easy and works. And if you're interested in kind of playing with this idea of creating messaging, creating a clear story for your business, you can actually go to mystorybrand.com and we have what we call an online version of a brand script. It's basically just everything I talked about today. It's little boxes that walk you through creating talking points to create your story, to create your company story, your message and says, create what does your customer want? What problems are they experiencing? How do you position yourself as a guide? And you can begin creating that for yourself. So that's at mystorybrand.com. And we will pop the link to that in the show notes. Thank you so much, JJ. This has been wonderful to chat, wonderful to catch up with you as always. And I know that my listeners are just going to absolutely love this episode. Oh, thanks so much. I loved it. All right. That is it for today's episode. If you haven't already hit subscribe, make sure you hit the plus button in Apple Podcasts or the follow button in Spotify and you'll get each new episode straight to your podcast app every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Thank you so much for listening. Catch you next time.